The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you, guys. Thanks for not skipping my chapel here. Appreciate that. Uh, please open your Bibles to Jeremiah 42 if you haven't already. I'm going to jump in here in a second. Um, but I just wanted to share with you this message because I think uh, I was a kid in Bible college at one point and I was just trying to think, all right, Lord, what's something that I could share that was meaningful for me at that point in my life? And this is something that was both meaningful then and continues to be meaningful now for me. And I want to talk about finding God's will. It's a question that's uh, pertinent to anybody that actually wants to please God and have their life glorifying to him and actually be where God wants you to be and who God wants you to be. And there's a ton of stuff out there about it, right? You write a book about this, you can sell it, it can make money, there's secrets to it. But I think here in the, the passage in Jeremiah, we just find a great example of something. So I have a friend that runs a Bible college, and he said, from girls, I always get two questions, and from guys, three questions. And he's done it for years, and he said, it's always the same thing. Girls want to know, what's God's will for my life, and who am I going to marry? And he said, guys want to know, what's God's will for my life, who am I going to marry, and what are we going to eat for lunch or dinner? He said, those are the three questions I'm always answering in one form or another. It comes back to these similar things. So uh, I think here I can give you something helpful from the word that was helpful for me, and I think is helpful for all of us. And the passage is such a wonderful example of it. Uh, Fred Sanders, who's a theologian, says we shouldn't rush to New Testament clarity and lose Old Testament profundity. And his point is, there's some pretty remarkable things in the Old Testament that become life examples for us. So Paul writes about the Israelites, and they became a life example of not falling into idolatry or sexual sin or being grumblers. There's some great examples of what New Testament teaching is, the types that we're supposed to see and understand. That's why they're in the Bible. And this is one of those passages. So before I begin reading, I want to give you some quick background. Babylon has come in, kind of destroyed Jerusalem, taken everybody captive, and they've left a very small remnant of kind of poor people in that area. And they put this guy Gedaliah in charge. He's the political kind of ruler at this point. Gedaliah ends up connecting with this other dude, Ishmael. Ishmael's a bad character. This other guy who's an Israelite, Johanan, and a soldier comes to him and says, dude, you should stop mes messing with this. Sorry, this I'm going to read out of the New King James Version, but dude is not in any version. This is me summing up, okay? So uh, they come to Gedaliah. Johanan warns him, this guy Ishmael's bad news. You need to stay away from him. Gedaliah's like, ah, no, nah, he's cool. So Ishmael comes and murders Gedaliah, Babylonians, and a whole bunch of Jews, over 70. And Johanan goes, when he hears this, and rescues kind of the people that are left because he took other people captive, and then brings them back to this area near Jerusalem. And now they're all afraid because Nebuchadnezzar, who just came in and killed most of them and took them all captive, and put a political leader in charge, just had that political leader assassinated with a whole bunch of Babylonians and Jews. 
So it doesn't look good for them. And at this point, the Israelites are scared. And they want to know God's will, not, be, not for anything cheesy, because their lives and their families are on the line. And they're afraid, what do we do? And they kind of have, in their mind, two choices. Do we run away from here and go to Egypt, or do we stay and trust that we're going to get taken care of when Nebuchadnezzar hears what has just happened here? So it's a serious situation in life. It is a momentous decision for them. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Korea, Jezaniah the son of Hoshia, those names you're not going to be tested on, so I don't know if they're the correct pronunciation. And all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord our God, Lord your God, for all this remnant. See, we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing which we should do. So, You could say, very clearly, these people are asking for the will of God. They go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet. He has spoken the word of God. He has written the word of God. And the things he has prophesied have come true. He was saying, for a long time, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Zedekiah would be taken captive. All those things have come true. They know he is a reliable source of the word of God. Here's what happens. Four. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, and indeed I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you, and I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us that we may obey the voice of the Lord our God. So here the people are in distress. They're seeking God's will. Jeremiah says, I will go and pray, and I will tell you what God says. And they say, great. When you tell us that, we will do everything that God says, no matter if it seems good or evil. Now, in some ways, this seems kind of nice. Like if there was a will of God classroom and the professor in there you could just go to, like they could go to Jeremiah and say, can you tell me the will of God for my life? And whatever I hear, I know it's right and I'll go do it. That would be nice. They, they have that opportunity. So here in this scenario, you're seeing a person who's saying, I only want God's will. Tell me what it is. Look at what happens, verse 7. And it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he called Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, to whom you sent me, to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down, I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent concerning the disaster I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand, and I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. So, 
after 10 days, a little bit of time, I think most of us would take that trade-off. If I can know God's will for my life and I had to wait 10 days, cool, I'll take that. Jeremiah comes back and God gives them his will. But I want you to notice, not only does God reveal his will, but he speaks to the inner workings of their heart. He says, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go to Egypt. I want you to stay. And I know you're afraid of the king of Babylon. Notice that? You are afraid of him. I will build you up and I will plant you. The idea there is, again, agricultural society, one of the things you would be afraid of is, do we have time to build homes? Their homes are destroyed. Our crops were destroyed. Do we have time to plant crops? You're not just going to the grocery store. We have to plant crops and they have to grow. And if they don't grow, then we're going to starve and die. So if it's not planting crops in time and right, we're not going to survive. There's a lot of things that would cause them to want to leave where they're at. And God speaks right in the middle of all those fears. Were you afraid that you're going to be torn down? I'll build you up. Were you afraid that you're going to be plucked up? I'll plant you. You're afraid of the king of Babylon? Don't be afraid. I am going to have mercy on you. It's, it's a wonderful message, actually. And you would think this would settle the issue. Like, yes, great, wonderful, we're good to go. That's not what happens, though. Notice verse 13. It's not the end of the issue. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear any sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there, then now hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt, and to go to dwell there, <clears throat> then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the midst of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So it shall be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine and pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. You shall be an oath and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. So not only does God speak to them, give them his will, and speak to their fears, he then gives a warning and speaks to their disobedience. Do you notice that? If you don't listen to my will, you think you're going to have an easier time. But all the things you think you're going to escape disobeying my will are going to find you in your disobedience. You think you're going to escape the sword, the sword's going to find you in Egypt. You think you're going to escape famine, famine's going to find you in Egypt. You think you're going to escape pestilence, pestilence is going to find you in Egypt. God was about to judge Egypt through Babylon. You think you're going to escape by running to Egypt in disobedience. Everything you think is going to be easier not here is going to find you where you think you're going in disobeying the voice of the Lord. So not only does he speak to their hearts to encourage them, he says, if you, 15 again, wholly set your faces to enter Egypt, all the hardship you think you're going to escape by disobeying the will of God is going to find you where you go. And I, I would say two things about this. One is this. God's will is clear enough that God says rejecting it is disobedience. 
Nobody in this room is going to miss God's will by mistake. I think sometimes we're worried about that. We're going to just make a choice. We're not going to hear from him. We're going to end up somehow outside of God's will by accident. Like you didn't hear clearly or you read a verse wrong or some teacher led you astray or something like that. That's never going to happen. You are going to enter a place that God doesn't want you to go only by disobedience. God's will is clear enough that to reject it is to disobey it. It's not just to miss it. There's no warnings about that in Scripture. So I will say this to you. Don't fear what you don't know. What you should take care of is being alert and watchful and fear what you do know. What God has said to you You will never miss God's will, like a shooting star or some unsolved mystery. You know, there was no verse in the Bible, God tells Philip to go into the desert, and Philip took a wrong turn, he just wandered around the desert and was like, why am I here? And the Ethiopian eunuch just went by real fast on a chariot and was like, oh, maybe that was it. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen to any character in the Bible, not a single one. Joseph got sold to the wrong guy, so he didn't, nothing. That's never there. You're not going to make it happen by accident. And the ease in our disobedience that we think we're going to find, God is saying, you're not going to find it there. It doesn't actually become easier disobeying my will. Yeah, you think it's going to be hard staying where you're at because you have fears there. But it's going to be harder when you leave it. And all the things you fear are going to find you there. It's foolish to leave God's will because there's some trouble in it and more foolish to think I can escape it by some change in geography, right? We all know the story of Jonah. That was his whole problem. A geographic change can make me escape what God wants from me. No, it can't. God's everywhere. This this will of God is very clear to them. Now, verse 19, we're going to come to the crux of the issue because Jeremiah is not done. The Lord said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. Notice verse 20. For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent to you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword and famine and pestilence in the place that you desire to dwell. And this is a challenge, but I feel like this is what was helpful to me. You notice God admits the real source of their issue here. The real problem is not that they couldn't find God's will, even though they really wanted it. That's actually never the problem in the Bible. There's never a person who really wants God's will that can't find it. That character, that type, that picture, that truth is nowhere in the Bible. You know what is in the Bible, though? People who didn't lack knowledge, but they lack sincerity of heart to admit their own hypocrisy and to repent of it. It's a heart problem, not a head problem. 
It's never going to be an information problem for you. I kind of led you astray. This message really isn't about finding God's will. It's about when God's will finds you, because that's the point. God's will will always find you. People who didn't want God's will found God's will. Cain found God's will. He's not even somebody who was genuine. Ahab found God's will. Judas found God's will. People who had no desire to receive God's will received God's will. God spoke to them clearly. They rejected it. This whole city. That's why these people who seem genuine, they have a real need. They go, they want God. Why do people do this? I have no idea. I can't answer all the motives, right? Maybe... uh, Joe Hannon, he already knew he wanted to go to Egypt, but he just wanted God to corroborate. Maybe he didn't want to seem unspiritual. Maybe he wanted Jeremiah's backing. Right? Maybe people don't want to seem godless or irresponsible. But for whatever reason, they act like they want God's will. But the reality is God says, and God's the one who can say it, you were hypocrites in your heart when you came and you asked me. And you notice he gave him his will anyway. They receive God's will. God will speak to you what he wants to speak to you. The only way you're going to miss it, and here becomes the central question, what type of heart will God find when he gives you his will? That's the thing you need to be careful about. I was concerned in my own life, I'm going to make a wrong choice. I'm going to, somewhere I'm going to do something that I didn't know I was supposed to do, and somehow I'm going to miss this. But the reality is, there's not a single person in the Bible who God failed, who he didn't direct, who he didn't lead. The people who find themselves outside of God's will, like a pharaoh, or like a Judas, or even people who followed him at certain choices end up outside. And like this group right here, the problem was not information. The problem was they didn't have a sincere heart. Maybe they wanted to see what God's will was to decide if they wanted to agree with it or not. Maybe they wanted to look spiritual, but the point here is, God makes it clear that the knowledge of his will and the responsibility to his will go together. And if we turn from that, it's considered rebellion. Do I have a true heart to keep God's will? When it finds me, will I follow it? Or am I going to decide that what I want is what I want in terms of relationship or career or just whatever decision you're making. That becomes your central question. And maybe some ways we don't know how to to answer that until we're in the moment. But I could tell you this. Do you want God's will right now? Well, are you obeying what you know you should obey right now? Because if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing right now, why do you think later when it comes to you, you'll do it then? Does it make sense, right? Because God's will will find you. You're not going to miss it. It's going to be clear enough that you will have to disobey it. Is your heart right? 
Is he gonna find the type of person that really is ready to receive what he says and what he wants? The disciples, we knock them for a lot of things and they made a lot of dumb choices. But one thing I don't know if we give them enough credit for is the day Jesus walks by and says, follow me, their hearts were ready. They did it. They left everything and they followed him. Matthew got up from his tax custom booth and left. Many of the disciples left their father's business fishing. He went and found Philip. We don't even know. Jesus just said, don't follow me. Philip followed him. They were ready. They had hearts that wanted God's will. And when God's will came, they obeyed. These people, when God's will comes to them, will do anything, good or evil, whatever it is, we'll do it. Then God's will comes, nah. You can read on the next chapter. I don't have time to do it right now. But they do exactly what a lot of people do who don't really want God's will. They slander Jeremiah. You just made that up. You're joining in with this other guy. We don't really believe you, right? They just begin to slander people, talk about circumstances. They do kind of everything. They beat around the bush every way possible. And then they decide to do exactly what God warns them not to do right here. Because their hearts were not right. Jesus says this in John 8, 14. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. Jesus is the type of person who always knows where he comes from and where he's going. He says to the Pharisees, you're not like that. We actually aren't like that. We didn't have a choice how we came into this world. We don't get a choice on when we leave it. We don't always know where we're headed. And God never promises he's going to give us all the details ahead of time. But you know what Jesus does promise? I know where I'm going. I know where I came from. I know where it's all going to end. And if I can just stick with that guy, I'm good. Right? If I can just follow him, do the things he says, I don't need to know all the details of where I came from or where I'm going. I just know if I stick with him, I'll be all right. Do you have the type of heart that will be obedient when Jesus leads you, when God speaks to you? Worry about your heart. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about who you're going to marry. Don't worry about what God's call for your life is. Don't worry about what you're going to eat for lunch. It will all be provided. Right? What you should worry about very seriously is, though, when God's word comes to you, when his will comes to you, will he find an obedient, sincere heart? Or will he find a heart that's hypocritical? Doesn't really want those things. Because God will be faithful in your life. This took a weight off my shoulders, just knowing, God, you're not going to let me down. And I can sit here and testify, he's led me. Didn't always expect it. I didn't have all the plan myself. But when he opened the doors, I was ready to go through them. I was ready to just follow. And he opened a lot of doors that I wouldn't have expected on my own. There is not a single person who ever wanted God's will who didn't get it. He even gives it to people who don't want it, like this group. 
and a heart that wants to please him, that should be something that cheers that heart. I'll end with this. There's a guy named F.W. Borum. He was an old Baptist preacher. He wrote an autobiography called My Pilgrimage. Served the Lord many years, three different pastorates over 10 years each. And I thought it was interesting. He says this about his life. He said, in writing this, it is my heart to offer one modest word of personal testimony. My pilgrimage has taught me many things, but it has made nothing more clear than the fact that from those who humbly seek the leadership of the kindly light, the divine guidance is never withheld. In the course of my life, I have had to make some momentous decisions, momentous to me. But looking back along the road, I can now see clearly that at every crisis, I was rightly led. Whenever the road forked, I heard a voice saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. God's gonna be with you. He's gonna be faithful to you. He's gonna give you his will and his direction. But is your heart sincere? Will he find a son or a daughter that says, yes, Lord, that is what I want. That's what you should worry about. Don't get caught up in the other things. That's the main detail. And if that's where you're at, you're gonna be good. God's gonna take care of you. And if you know that's not where you're at, then this is God saying to you, repent. Don't wholly set your face against me. Don't turn your back to me. Turn your face to me. Listen to what I'm saying to you. I'm speaking to your fears. I'm speaking to the reality. Don't reject that. Don't be disobedient. Because he loves you, and he knows whatever ease you think you're gonna find outside of his will, it's not there, it's a lie. And all the difficulty you think you're gonna escape is gonna find you in your disobedience. Listen to him, be gracious and repent, and give him the space he should have in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I lift my brothers and sisters here to you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for this example. I pray you be gracious to them. I pray that they could trust you and know you're a good shepherd and you're gonna lead kindly and graciously. And I pray for anybody who knows, Lord, that their heart is in conflict with you, that they would hear your voice today, that they would repent, that you through your Holy Spirit would guide them into truth and that they wouldn't turn from you, Lord, and be disobedient. So I commit this group to you I pray that you would complete the work that you've begun in them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.